Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Dobberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. In this episode of the podcast, I want to share with you three Jewish legal texts, two from the Talmud and one from the medieval law called the Shulchan Aruch. I have been interested in these texts and thinking quite a bit about them since we studied them in our Talmud class the last month or so. I think they're fascinating texts, and I think they can teach us something about how to address, or at least how to approach, a very relevant issue in our times. I'm going to present you the text, ask a couple of questions, and then invite you to wrestle with these texts and to think about how they do, in fact, reflect situations in our lives today. Here's the first text. It comes from the Mishnah, the first earliest code of rabbinic law. If a person leaves an object in the public area and another person comes along and trips over it, stumbles over it, and it breaks, the person who stumbled over it is not responsible for the breaking of the object. And in addition, can in fact claim to, that they should be compensated for the healing of their injuries suffered if they, if they did in fact suffer an injury in tripping over the object. Now, of course, you could ask, how do you know who left the object there? Let's say in a situation where it's known. So if I'm walking on the street and I trip over something that somebody left there and it breaks, I'm not responsible for the fact that it broke. And if I injure myself in that course of in the course of that stumbling, I can be I should be compensated by the person who left the object in the street in the first place. But then there's a second part to this. If in fact I see an object in the street that's been left by somebody and break it, let's say I kick it away from myself and I break it. I'm still not responsible for the breakage of the object because it was left in the public area. However, I cannot claim compensation from the person who left the object if, if I injured myself in the course of breaking the object. So if I stumble over it and it breaks, not only do, am I not responsible for breaking the object, I can claim I, need, I should be compensated by the person who left it there. But if I break the object on purpose, I'm still not responsible for breaking because it was left in the middle of the street, but I can't claim compensation from the injury. So just as an example, if somebody leaves a piece of pottery in the street and I decide to kick it out of the way and it breaks, I'm not responsible for it. But if one of the pieces of pottery comes up and cuts me, I can't claim that that person should be compensated because it was my action that caused the injury. That's the first text. Second text has to do with oxen, a very favorite subject in the Torah and in, in, in the Mishnaic period and in the Talmud in general. And this text comes from a Braita. A Braita is a section of text from the Mishnaic era rabbis, the Tanaim, that didn't find its way into the canonized version of the Mishnah, but was still existed as an oral tradition that people were familiar with. It has to do again with oxen. And the situation is, I have an ox, and another ox is 
climbs on top of my ox with the intention to kill it. Now, there are some varying issues here regarding the nature of the ox that's doing the killing. Is it a ox that's known to be a dangerous ox or is it just a first time thing? I'm not gonna deal with that part of it right now. Let's just deal with this. I'm watching a situation where my ox is being attacked by another ox. According to this Brita, I am entitled to pull my ox away from the ox that's threatening it. And should, by pulling my ox away, the other ox fall and hit the ground and die, I am not responsible for the death of that ox because I am entitled to save my property, my ox. However, according to this Brita, if, and this is the assumption is, I had the opportunity to pull my ox out from underneath, but chose instead, this is part of the commentary say this, I chose instead to push the ox that was attacking my ox off the top of my ox, and then that ox died, I am responsible for the death of that ox. If I had the option to save my ox rather than to push the other ox off the top of my ox, if I had that option and chose instead to directly try to harm the, or at least in some way stop the attacking ox from hurting my ox and in the course of it, it dies, then in fact, I am responsible for the death of that ox. Well, so what is the point? What combines these two texts? What combines the two texts is that we are entitled to protect our own property in the second case or to not blame ourselves if in fact we trip over an object that's left in the street. But if we take actions that are more than necessary, then we start to either, in the first case, not be compensated for our injury or in the second case, actually be responsible for the death of the other rocks. The point is, we are entitled to do certain things to protect ourselves and protect our property. But if we do more than we have to do, more than is necessary, there will be some legal implications to that. So let me share with you now the third text from the Shulchan Aruch, the medieval law code of, uh, of uh, Rabbi Karo, who says this, if a person pursues another person with the intent to kill that person. And this would apply whether it's to kill oneself or to kill somebody else. And you witness it in the case of being somebody else and you warn that person that what they are about to do will in fact result in capital punishment if in fact they kill them according to Jewish law. Capital punishment, by the way, was very, very, very rarely enforced in the rabbinic period. And we've talked about that in the previous podcast and probably return to the issue another time. But right now, the point is somebody is pursuing somebody else. It's called the rodef in Hebrew. The person was killing somebody to kill them. We are commanded, if we witness this, after warning the person, to save the person who is being pursued, even at the cost of maiming one of the pursuer's limbs. Even if what you have to do to stop that person is to trip them and break their legs or 
in modern time use some kind of weapon to stop them, even at the cost of maiming their limb, you have an obligation to do that, to save the innocent person who is being threatened. Then the Shulchan Aruch continues, if it is impossible to save the pursued without killing the pursuer outright, then the pursuer should indeed be killed. The point is that to save an innocent person or to save oneself from a pursuer, one is entitled to kill that person, but only, only if that's the only way to stop them. Now, let me show, present you a couple of issues with this text. First of all, some of you might be completely uncomfortable with the idea of killing somebody in that particular circumstance. I want you to think about it in terms, let's say, of a potential terrorist attack. Somebody is coming to, to, uh, to, to uh, perform some terrible act of terror, and they have an opportunity to stop that person, law enforcement officials, in that particular case. In that case, it might be more clear that it would be appropriate to kill the individual. But, uh, you know, again, different people will have different thoughts on that. Secondly, I understand the fact that to evaluate whether one can, in fact, stop the person in a simpler, in a less invasive manner than killing them might be a very difficult thing to decide at the moment that this situation is unfolding. So this may be more a theoretical, philosophical point but it, it is an important point. We are entitled to self-defense and to protect the innocent by stopping somebody from killing them, but there are limitations. There are things we have to think about. There are considerations that have to be made. And now let's go back to those all of these texts because they really do point out the same thing. Yes, we have the right to walk down the street without tripping. And if we do trip on something, it's not our fault. But if we choose to go the extra mile, so to speak, and break something, you know, we can understand the frustration, but we can't blame any injury on the person who left it there because we could have handled the situation in a different way. Similarly with the ox. Yes, we have the responsibility to save our property and we are allowed to do that. But what as long as the opportunity exists to save one's property without harming or at least without putting the other person's property at greater risk, we should take that option. And if not, we might have to answer for it. And then that last question at the last text as well brings up the same issue. Yes, we have an absolute responsibility to save ourselves or to save someone else who is being threatened by being through whose life is being threatened but in responding to that to the extent possible we need to only do what is necessary and not go the extra mile so to speak in this case and kill a person when stopping them in another way is also possible so i want to leave that with you Again, I understand the fact that it's very difficult in the heat of a situation to decide what absolutely has to be done or can be done to save a person. So if you want to deal with it theoretically, that's fine. But the question is, how is this reflected in our lives today? 
How is it reflected in laws, for example, stand your ground laws and self-defense? How is it reflected in instructions given to law enforcement officials? How is it reflected in an era of terror where there are sometimes situations that are, are so clearly and blatantly dangerous, life-threatening, and it falls upon individuals, whether law enforcement officials or somebody else, to make a decision how to stop this? These are very, very difficult questions. But the general principle expressed in all three of these texts is the same. You do what is necessary, but if you do more than is necessary, there are implications for that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, and until next time, thank you.